Welcome to the AJHP podcast series. The American Journal of Health System Pharmacy is the official journal of the American Society of Health System Pharmacists, an association of pharmacists committed to helping patients make the best use of medications. For more information about AJHP, please visit www.ajhp.org. Hello, this is William Zelmer. I'm a contributing editor for the American Journal of Health System Pharmacy, and I'm speaking today with Dr. Bernice Breland, who is Director of Pharmacy at the Medical Center, which is a part of Columbus Regional Healthcare System in Columbus, Georgia. Dr. Breland is the author of an AJHP paper on continuous quality improvement using intelligent IV infusion pump data analysis. Bernice, thanks very much for joining me for this conversation today. Thank you, Bill. It's my pleasure. Let's start by um, asking you to give our listeners a big-picture overview of the Medical Center at Columbus, Georgia, including uh, the medical staff and the scope of pharmacy services. Certainly. Uh, the Medical Center is, a, is licensed as a 413-bid, uh, not-for-profit not community teaching hospital. We have a, a large family practice physician residency program with uh, around 36 to 40 residents in that. Uh, so we do have our own house staff, but it is not a university-supported hospital. It is a private community teaching hospital. We have the regular mid-surge general uh, service lines and specialties. Uh, we are the state-designated trauma center for this area of, of Georgia, so we have a very busy emergency department. We're a level two uh, emergency department. Uh, we are the predominant pediatric and neonatology center here for this region of the state, and we are a level three neonatal intensive care. We, of course, have the uh, critical care adult beds, and for our institution, we actually do have quite a number of, um, of critical care, both adult, pediatric, and neonatal beds uh, for the total number of occupied beds. So uh, we're a full-service, just acute community hospital uh, in this region of, of Georgia, which is uh, serving West Georgia and East Alabama. Very good, Bernice. Uh, could you comment a bit more about the scope of pharmacy services per se? I know you've worked very hard over the years in developing uh, really an excellent pharmacy department, but if you could comment on that briefly, I'd appreciate it. Sure. Thank you, Bill. The, uh, the, our pharmacy program um, is very comprehensive. Um, we, our practice model is such that we have pharmacists who practice in the patient care areas, uh, from around a little before 7 a.m. in the mornings until around midnight each night. Uh, and then uh, after that, we uh, the clinical activities refer defer back to the central pharmacy, which is, is always open. Uh, we Our practice model does have us uh, working very closely in with the medical staff and the nursing staffs, uh, and we do a lot of drug therapy management here for uh, with with our physicians, collaborative with our physicians, uh, we do also have outpatient programs. We have about uh, seven outpatient pharmacies uh, owned by the hospital. Uh, we are a 340B covered entity, a dish hospital. Uh, so we have pharmacy clinics in our and uh, pharmacy run clinics in some of our outpatient clinics. Uh, that work um, collaboratively with the physicians as well. We also have three nursing homes um, and around a little over 330 or so some odd beds 
uh, of nursing home patients. And we work with the uh, Public Health Service, um, the West Georgia Health District. In fact, we contract provide pharmacy services to the district and also contract provide pharmacy services to the Columbus MMRS uh, Metropolitan Medical Response System as well. So well, we also work with the community with some um, uh, indigent facilities, um, uh, one facility that's a 75-bed uh, assisted living center for um, uh, mentally ill indigent patients, in fact. And then we also send pharmacists with a mobile van to some of the homeless shelters. So uh, then we work through an alternate method demonstration project um, of HRSA with a community health, um, one of the thoroughly qualified community health centers here uh, in this region as well. So we're very much involved um, not only here at the hospital, but also throughout the community, uh, both the inpatient and outpatient settings. Thank you, Bernice, for putting uh, your program into context for us. That's very helpful. Now, your paper talks about uh, your process of implementing intelligent infusion devices. And I'm curious, uh, to what extent in general have you applied uh, technology to the medication use system at the medical center? And where within all of that do intelligent infusion devices fit specifically? We decided back in the year 2000 uh, somewhat of a strategic plan for medication safety here. Not long after the Institute of Medicine report came out in December of 1999, we really started putting together uh, a medication safety strategic planning process. Uh, and we actually went before the uh, Professional Affairs Committee, which is a committee of our board of trustees, uh, made up of physicians and board members, and really outlined a plan at that time. And it consisted of doing some upgrades to our pharmacy computer systems that we needed desperately. It also consisted of, of uh, beefing up our automated dispensing cabinets, so we made a purposeful decision that we would increase the use of those. Uh, we also decided that we would obtain the dispensing robot, uh, which we did. So we looked at how we would utilize that. We talked about uh, medication safety from the standpoint of where our highest use drugs and discussed the intelligent fusion devices or smart pumps, as some refer to them. And then we discussed the med bedside medication administration system and then eventually the computerized prescriber order entry systems is all being complementary. And that's not to mention enhancements that we made, like with our micro and macronutrient compounders for TPN solutions or hyperomitation solutions, uh, and also barcoding and packagers that we decided that we knew that we would have to be adding as we move to uh, medication bedside uh, scanning and all. So we, as we laid out the plan, we looked at where we were, would spend our dollars, and we felt like we definitely needed to upgrade our pharmacy computer systems. Um, our administration was very interested in the, in the robotics using barcode scanning for filling of cassettes, uh, and we in, expanded our use of automated cabinets using the cabinets, though, primarily for just narcotic control substances and non-additive IVs primarily, and then in some of the critical care areas where, where uh, timing was critical, we have some minimal floor stock, but um, we do have tube system, pneumatic tube system that is actually quite reliable uh, with a large uh, six-inch tube system. So uh, we use that um, for delivery medications expeditiously. Uh, 
Um, but we realized pretty quick that the smart pumps or the intelligent fusion devices would be one of the best ways to to affect the safety of the high-risk medications, the ones that we give IV. And we realized that that would be a, a great place to spend our our money, some of the first money that we that we spent. And looking back, I think that was one of the best decisions we made. Ernest, your paper discusses extensively the development of customized drug libraries, including dosage yes. limits for the intelligent infusion devices you use at the medical yes. center. Yes. Uh, I think it would be interesting to have you comment. What were some of the broad issues you had to address as you pursued that facet of the project? Right. We actually went live uh, with this project back in May of 2006 is when we actually went live with it. And at that time, um, really, there were no libraries out there hardly to model from. The, the vendors can still kind of give you some samples, but they they do not give you a set library. Um, I think folks are still struggling to a little bit to uh, to build libraries, but at least I think institutions are sharing some data. But one of the biggest issues was developing the library, and in doing so, we had to learn how we were administering medications and you know we in fact the physician may prescribe the pharmacist may dispense the pharmacist may be involved in the drug therapy plan and actually involved in in the medication management but most of the time our physicians and pharmacists have not always been at the bedside setting the infusion pump and deciding exactly over what rate uh, what time period um, that those drugs would be administered? So, when when you set you, when you build your libraries uh, with your safety limits and you're deciding on your uh, your lower soft and your lower hard and your upper soft and upper hard limits, uh, then you've really got to put some thought into what those safety limits need to be. So we had to do some discovery first. We had to really get out there and find out how are we using medications. And how do we use the medications differently, uh, the same medications, or how are we using them differently in different areas? Uh, for, in for instance, an oxytocin in labor and delivery uh, may be used at one concentration and one fusion infusion rate, but post-delivery out in the uh, maternal or family and children's area, it may be totally different. The infusion rate for potassium chloride in the critical care area may be one standard, and when you get out into a med surge area without a telemetry monitoring, you may have a different standard. Uh, so it's drug after drug that we may use one way in one area, but depending upon the uh, the monitoring that's being done and the ability of resuscitation and uh, just the, the practices of the nurses, we found it to be totally different. Um, so we... Um, we spent a lot of time finding out how are we using the drugs. Then we we started uh, initially we started building the libraries with a medical library, a surgical library, an emergency medicine, a, a anesthesia, and uh, a women and children's. And we realized after we got a little ways down that road that that was not what we needed to do. Uh, because there were too many differences between units and too many differences in how they wanted their drug libraries built even. So we switched from the service lines of, of medical, surgical, you know, uh, OB, whatever. We switched then to clinical care areas or CCAs as we referred to them. And that allowed us to, to customize 
libraries to individual patient care areas, which matched the drug administration practices of those areas much better. Uh, so then we were able to address from a system-wide perspective, okay, if it's a drug that is an antibiotic, that a vancomycin that needs to be infused over two hours regardless of where, then we set those parameters. But if it was a potassium chloride that was infused, could be infused at a faster rate in the critical care area with telemetry than it could in a med-surge area without close monitoring, then we had we could do those those units differently. So... We spent a lot of time building. We, we looked at what we were actually doing in the units. Then we looked at the medical literature to see what the safe limits were for medications, which was a challenge because they're not always there or not always easy to find at least. So we applied the theory and the practice together and merged those into sets of safety limits that we started with. And then we use the CQI process to refine it after we got started with uh, testing and the use of the, of the pumps. Vernus, related to what you've just said, uh, you write in the paper about the high degree of variability of what you call the epidemiology of medication use at the medical center. Could you give us a couple of examples of uh, some of the patient safety risk posed by that lack of standardization? Certainly, heparin, some of the high-risk drugs, we found that the practices, the epidemiology was different from one area to another. And unfortunately, they were the practices were not always thought out and accepted or approved standards. They, there was a, a lack of approved standards for drug administration, we might say. We found that individual practitioners might, nurse practitioners might just have the way they would do it. It might be different from one way to another. We found from one area like emergency department to critical care area, adult critical care area might be different. We, we even found with, with heparin that we were underdosing some patients in our emergency department that had become kind of an accepted standard of we of starting at a low dose. And when we looked into it more, we were subtherapeutic on these patients. So our actual discovery phase of figuring out how we were using medications led us to find that we were not being um, effective with our drug therapy because of some of our administration practices. So we did find some surprising differences, the things that we didn't know about, we had not discovered. And through the CQI process and our pumps and, and the reporting processes, we were able to find a lot of things that could definitely, that did impact patient care. Have you been 100% successful to date in addressing this issue of uh, variability? Um, I would never say we're 100% successful. We are much better, I would say that. Uh, it seems like that even after two, three, four years of this, we still discover things that surprise us from time to time. During the first two years, we were continually using the uh, reports. And there's some great um, reports that come off of these systems where you can really monitor uh, how you're using the drugs. You can monitor the catches where the practitioner may have tried to set a, the infusion rate on a pump that might have been a tenfold error uh, with a heparin infusion, and it will catch those, prevent that from being infused at that rate, and all those entries into the, into the pump are recorded 
So then you can go back and see, okay, here's what was actually attempted, and here's probably why that occurred. So we, during that first uh, year, even two years, we were continually discovering medication administration processes. Um, Initially, we set some of our safety limits uh, at theoretically maybe where they we thought they should be, but practically that, that didn't work. Um, maybe in the cardipine infusion, we had them set way too low, and we found that most of our patients required an infusion that was exceeding our, our soft limit. We were finding a lot of needless stops in the system, and as we, over time, improved and took out some of the, the needless or useless stops, the ones that didn't make a difference, and then put in more important needed stops or safety limits, we really enhanced our medication infusion process significantly. And, you know, I I would have expected that we would, within the first year, would have probably ironed all that out and have caught most of them. And, And, my goodness, we hadn't scratched the surface hardly in a year. And two years, we were much better. And as we improved the quality of the safety limits, we improved the compliance uh, with use of the pumps and the safety limits dramatically. So I think it's an ongoing, it, it needs to be an ongoing process of, of monitoring the reports, and pharmacy needs to take ownership of both the library, the build, the upgrades, and at least share some of the responsibility for monitoring of the reports that come out to look and see how our practitioners are either using or trying to use the safety limits and infusing uh, medications. So uh, it's an ongoing process and one that uh, you just need to commit resources to to make it a true continuous quality improvement process. Finally, Bernice, uh, what advice do you have for hospital pharmacists who are contemplating the use of intelligent infusion technology? First, say, go ahead and take the lead. Be an advocate for uh, the acquisition and implementation of intelligent infusion devices and other medication safety technology. Don't be lagging behind or dragging or having to be convinced that this the proven technology is effective. And certainly the intelligent infusion devices are now proven to be great tools for us to use in improving medication safety. So be an advocate. If you need to even... Uh, advocate budgeting money, capital equipment money to purchase new systems uh, such as smart intelligent uh, infusion devices. Don't just wait on nursing or materials management or some quality department or someone else to propose this. If you don't have intelligent infusion devices, go ahead and propose it, support it, uh, try to even help with the capital equipment request process and all, and get the dollars in the budget. Partner with the stakeholders, especially nursing and the medical staff, to approach the intelligent fusion device area and help folks understand how that can be a very worthwhile process, uh, very worthwhile uh, equipment to enhance the overall medication safety in the institution. You'll need to work with the all the stakeholders, uh, medical staff, nursing, uh, information technology folks, biomedical engineering, materials management, all of those folks in evaluating the process and then implementation. Be involved in the selection of the, of the devices. Certainly, pharmacy needs to be an active role, but, of course, nursing, since they will be using the pumps, 
every day, all day, they'll have a major stake in it as well. But pharmacy and nursing need to need to agree on the um, on which device to use, which vendor to use, and uh, for sure, one thing is get the wireless technology. Uh, it's out there now. I can't imagine how we would have been nearly as successful without the wireless technology. So it's worth it. Be sure you get that. Be sure that pharmacy owns the library. Take ownership of the library. Learn how meds are used within the, or administered within the institution and how those the administration practices or processes differ from one patient care area to another, even with the same drugs. And then recognize that some drugs you may have to have, to have additional lines or descriptions because they just uh, may may be administered different ways in different patient care areas. Uh, Get stakeholder input, consult with other institutions to find out what they've done. If you can learn from the libraries, what they've done in building libraries, do so. One point I'd make in, in building the libraries is Take advantage of those safety limits. And in some, you may say, well, you know, how do you set a, a safety limit on propofol or something that's going to be a pushed or infused? Well, ask your anesthesia folks and set some maximum level that everybody would agree should almost never be exceeded. So I found that a lot of institutions just don't take advantage of putting safety limits in on some even high-risk medications, and that's... that's um, we're missing an opportunity if we don't do that. Uh, so try to get drugs in. Avoid just what we call the label-only drugs, where you just put an infusion rate, but don't specify uh, any of the parameters that would really make it a dosing type of safety limit. Antibiotics, for example, just a cefazolin, you may not need a safety limit on, but uh, and that may be an example of a, of a label-only. But a vancomycin is an example of one where you don't want just a label. You want to be able to to uh, regulate uh, how fast that drug, as far as a, a milligram dose, is administered. Use the reports. Just really, I emphasize looking at the reports understanding them, going over them, having a regular CQI process put into place where you learn from what these reports are telling you. Revise the libraries as you need to. Eliminate the needless limits that really don't add any safety and just slow folks down and make them hate to use them. So eliminate the needless uh, checks, but make sure that you're using the limits on critical drugs get feedback and keep keep giving feedback to nursing. And every month I meet with my nursing directors and we give a report, here's what our compliance rates are. And it took us a couple of years, but finally as our nursing uh, administration took ownership and said we will use these pumps and then we decided to uh, hold people accountable for it. Our compliance rates went to 98%. And they, they did that both from, they went that to 98% because we were holding folks accountable, but probably even more so is because we improved the quality of those libraries to such a degree that people were willing to use them. They didn't mind using them, and they understood why that it could drive better compliance and we could improve the safety of our medication use process so significantly. So they're a good buy for the money, but pharmacy's got to take a very active role, especially in building and maintaining and upgrading the libraries through a CQI process.
Well, Bernice, thank you very much for that thorough uh, advice and comments drawing on your experience in implementing intelligent infusion devices. I appreciate your time today. My pleasure. Thank you, Bill. This is William Zelmer, contributing editor of the American Journal of Health System Pharmacy. I've been speaking with Dr. Bernice Breland, who is director of pharmacy at the Medical Center of Columbus Regional Healthcare System in Columbus, Georgia, who has a paper in, in the journal on continuous quality improvement using intelligent IV infusion pump data analysis. That concludes this podcast. For more information, please visit www.ajhp.org.